The president of Belarus, who is a staunch ally of Russia, will today begin a three-day state visit to China. As the Ukraine war enters its second year, Alexander Lukashenko's visit to Beijing will be closely watched by Washington and Kiev. It comes as China plays a more active role in diplomacy around the war, while at the same time supporting its close partner, Russia. Ian Bremmer is the president and founder of the Eurasia Group and joins me now from New York. Ian Bremmer, welcome to breakfast. Sure, good to join you. Why is Alexander Lukashenko in Beijing this week? Well, he doesn't have many friends, uh, and there is a level of coordination uh, around the war with the Russians, massive amounts of military exercises, help on logistics. He lacks full sovereignty over his country, frankly. And also, uh, this visit is a precursor uh, to what I am sure will soon be an announcement that President Xi Jinping is going uh, to Moscow. That will be a very big deal. Uh, It would not have happened three or six months ago, uh, both given how badly the war was going for the Russians and also uh, given how much the Chinese were concerned about becoming a pariah. Now that we have a Chinese peace deal, as it's called in the offing, uh, it's been made much easier to set that up. Both Alexander Lukashenko and Xi Jinping support Vladimir Putin. How concerned should the world be that these two leaders are meeting this week? Well, well, certainly you don't want the Chinese involved directly in a proxy war. And the fact that the Americans and several allies, the Secretary General of NATO, uh, the Prime Minister of the UK, have put the Chinese on notice that if they directly involve themselves in providing military support for the Russians, that this relationship is going to become one of Cold War. The Americans would put secondary sanctions directly on the Chinese and American allies uh, would would likely follow. By the way, it's going to be that would be a big impact for Australia directly as well. So I think we need to watch it very carefully. The fact that the Chinese have largely been on the sidelines, their policy has been virtually identical on the Russia war as the Indian policy, for example, or South Africa's over the last six, nine months. The question is, is that going to in any way change? And watching Lukashenko's trip to Beijing is a good indication uh, of whether or not that's going to happen. You said big, uh, big impact for Australia as well. Can you just explore that? What do you mean by that? Well, uh, what I mean is that Australia is an important trading partner of China, and there's been difficulties in the past, of course. I mean, after the Australians joined AUKUS um, and uh, and with some difficulties around some of the Australians' uh, government talking about human rights abuses uh, in, in China, the Chinese have been more than willing to go after uh, the Australians on the economic front. Here's an issue where the Americans will be telling their allies, both in Europe and in Asia, if the Chinese are directly providing weapons for an illegal war that a majority of the world's nations have three times now at the General Assembly said uh, that they condemn it and that the Russians have to get out. If the Chinese decide that they're on the rogue states side of that, the Australians will be expected economically to line up with the United States. There will be significant pressure exerted on Australia and Japan and South Korea and New Zealand if that were the case. At the same time, of course, China is positioning itself as a kind of peacemaker in the war, but isn't it straddling its position by meeting with such a close ally of Vladimir Putin? I mean, how is that even plausible? Well, it's interesting that if you read the 12 points in China's peace plan uh, and you didn't know it came from China, it could have come from any country from the so-called global south. 
Um, the, the position is largely identical. And by the way, the Chinese saying that they're calling for an end of sanctions. Belarus, of course, supports that. They're on the wrong end of those sanctions. But so do the developing countries around the world that are paying much higher costs for energy, for food, for fertilizer. So China's trying to have it both ways. They want to continue to be a friend and supporter of the Russians, but they also want to show that they have a level of neutrality and hands off, that they can be a so-called honest broker on this in this war, um, in the way that a lot of developing countries see them as being. Now, of course, the Americans and the Europeans have said strongly, China is nothing like an honest broker. They shouldn't be allowed to touch peace. But the U.S., of course, has been on Israel's side of Israel-Palestine um, and not an honest broker for decades. And they've been trying to broker peace as well. So it's a little more challenging when you talk about how other countries see this than when you talk about the American and the Australian position. Okay, so back to this kind of key meeting this week, what kind of practical payoffs could China gain from closer ties with Belarus? I mean, what would they be hoping to achieve at the end of these talks? Oh, I, I, don't, I think there's very little that they need to achieve. This, this relationship is vastly asymmetrical um, in, in China's favour. Belarus is much more excited about it. They're an incredibly important trade partner uh, for a country that doesn't position itself very well in the global marketplace. I, again, I think what Xi Jinping is doing is he's paving the way for uh, Putin, uh, for a direct meeting with Putin, for a visit to Moscow. And he's the Chinese intelligence. They're looking to see what the reaction is going to be to this meeting as they think about how to position uh, what's going to be a very significant meetup. The U.S., of course, has already voiced its concern that China is considering providing military aid to Russia. So could Xi Jinping try to use Belarus to kind of uh, send weapons indirectly to Putin? Uh, I think that it is plausible that the Chinese were planning on sending some level of weaponry um, to the Russians and wanted it to be through third parties or wanted the Americans not to find out about it. That's, I think, one of the reasons why the Americans made that intelligence public. They wanted to put the Chinese on notice. Now, you know that the United States has done that on a number of occasions in the run up to February 24th a year ago, trying to put the Russians on notice that, that you know, we know what you're up to. Don't do it. It didn't work with the Russians, but it's more likely to with the Chinese, in part because the Chinese actually do need functional economic ties, trade ties, investment ties with the advanced industrial democracies in the world going forward. Keep in mind, China's been on a bit of a charm offensive really ever since they ended their zero COVID policy. They want their economy to be picking up again this year. They're traveling again. They're engaging again, including with the private sector. So I think they're going to be more cautious. Mm. I'd be very surprised personally about them sending weapons over to Russia going forward. You're right. They have been on a charm offensive, and that's why... Uh, this this straddling um, of both sides, if you like, is is really fascinating to watch because that charm offensive is kind of compromised by these meetings, isn't it? Yeah, I think if you want to really talk about what's different here, it's the fact that the Chinese have decided that they want to play a leadership role on a national security issue that really they're not a, a key belligerent in at all. Historically, they'd never do that. They'd only really stand up on leadership when it really mattered to the Chinese on Taiwan, on Hong mm. Kong, on the South China Sea, of course, on things like the Uyghurs. The idea that Xi Jinping is saying, no, 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 on Russia, Ukraine, we're going to put out a peace plan that we want the world to pay attention to. And they'll make that announcement one year after the war started. That's unprecedented uh, for China on the global stage. And that's something we should be watching more closely. Ian Bremer, always a pleasure. Thank you. Good talk, guys. The president and founder of the Eurasia Group, Ian Bremer, you're listening to RM Breakfast. 
think bigger about the world we live in. Ask your smart speaker to play ABC RN.